Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Welcome. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hello, and welcome to Visual Workplace Radio, where I am your host on this, our weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak. And in each of these shows, we look at some aspect of that, of how to embed the intelligence of our operational system, our intelligence, into the living landscape of work through visual devices. And why do we do it? We do it to reap the incredible benefits, the cultural benefits, a spirited, aligned, interested, thinking workforce, and wonderful financial rewards. 15 to 30% increase in productivity. We see 15% all the time, even when the plant has already gone lean, and often 30, 34, 32. I think the highest we've gotten is 42% increased productivity. Yes, it was. there was a lot of low-hanging fruit, but it was still achieved and sustained through visuality. So we do it for those reasons, and we do it so that we can enjoy ourselves at work, where we spend so much time, where so much of us want to be seen and rewarded. We want to contribute. We want to think. We want it to be part of our otherwise full life, the visual workplace. Let the workplace speak. We can be found on the net, visualworkplace.com. You can reach us or me at radio at visualworkplace.com. Our website has lots of free articles, over 100. These podcasts, now I think we're numbering 40. I did do a show with Voice America uh, five, five, six, seven, eight, nine years ago. I did five years of shows, 250 podcasts. It is one of my favorite ways of reaching you, reaching out and reaching you to talk about visuality. And I, of course, I love the idea of talking about visuality on the radio, not on the TV, but on the radio. I hope that my um, descriptions are colorful enough and useful enough for you to feel supported in your own conversion activities. And you know what else? So you can reach us at radio at visualworkplace.com and at our website, visualworkplace.com. Love to hear from you. You know what? I like to do series. I like to do four or five or ten shows on a topic. I like to be able to branch out find associated linkages, or do a deep dive and get into the gritty, the telling details. I really love that. I love teaching what I've learned. I love teaching that creates understanding and application, even breakthrough. This is my kind of fun. So I am going to start a new series today. I have just finished a 12-show series on visual leadership talked about the X-Type and the Operation Systems Improvement Template and being a Barracuda leader. We talked about visual displays and a new role for supervisors. And I finished up with a couple of shows on fractals and morphogenic fields just to kind of widen the scope and give leaders a sense of not only how important their job is, but how supported they are. And, you know, I was thinking maybe for my next series that I would do Visual Machine, Letting the Workplace Speak, which I love as well. So many machines, so little time. Or the High Performance Systems Template. This is the latest methodology I've developed. It's about seven or eight years uh, in uh, use. And it is a really powerful transformational tool, High Performance Systems Template, If you have reached the point where you can shift over to systems, you have some stability and you also have some understanding that you currently don't have systems. You don't call a tribal process a system. It just isn't the same thing. But I think I'll wait on that. I think that I will instead take on 
a topic that is very near and dear to my heart, with which I have worked for every one of my 35-plus years in this field. I want to take on borders. Mm -hmm. I want to take on borders and kind of move the dial in terms of people, perhaps you, who think of borders as just lines on the floor. I'd like to begin to change your mind. I'd like to take the time and find the words to explain what borders are and how they work and why I consider them the single most important element in achieving visual order, the visual wear, in the workplace. They're that important. <laughs> Borders are part of a triumvirate of a three-part process called the visual wear. The second part is addresses. The third part is ID labels where possible. And we'll talk about those. We'll do a couple of shows for sure on addresses. But borders is not only the starting point, but that's the part that's indispensable. And I want to show you today that really borders are part of our brain function when they are there and where when they are not there, our brain works much too hard. There's a certain kind of fog that sits in. So I have something mapped out. I want to, yes, I want to explain borders, but in this show, I want to give you examples through the radio of different kinds of borders. And then, if I time it right, towards the end of the show, I'll slide into the reasons for borders. And I'll hit the top six reasons. The first one, the most important. But there are 12, if you want to. 13 reasons and all why borders are so important. And I know that many of you are currently working on 5S and some of you are very successful. But even if you're successful with 5S, if you don't have a deep and pervasive application of visuality to join in the, that 5S, you will have a limited of limited outcome. You will be able to audit it, but it won't be able to grow. So let me begin this. And then as we come to the end of the show, I'll describe a couple of the other things that I want to do with borders in subsequent shows. This will probably be mm, probably two shows, and then we'll go into addresses, probably one or two shows, depending on the detail. Love to hear from you if you want a lot of detail. And then I think, and then we'll do ID labels, of course, talk about the visual wear and its importance. I want to philosophically, once we get the pieces in place, talk about what happens when the visual wear is in place to the person and to your work culture. And then I think we'll back into smart placement, which in terms of the technology of the visual wear comes first. But it'll make a, a bit more vivid, I think, and perhaps more dramatic if we talk about borders and then uh, kind of reveal to you that they may be in the wrong place. <laughs> and that's where smart placement comes in. So we do smart placement, the layout of the workplace, the flow, the layout of function in the workplace. Then we do borders, then we do addresses, then ID labels. But I think we'll do it backwards. I was trying to think of ways to get your attention. Not because you're not interested, but because I want to give dramatic importance to these dramatically important components of a workplace that speaks. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to trigger your thinking, even... Um, help to impact your thinking. So here's what my plan is. My plan is to start the way I am and then to talk about borders, extending the border function, extending borders into other dimensions of meaning 
That's one chunk. I'll describe a bunch of borders. I hope I do so successfully. I think I will. And then the kind of flip side or the second part of that would be extending borders in terms of innovation, inventiveness, and then we'll move to reasons. And I want to say to begin with what I tell the operators when I train them or when I train trainers to to train them, they get this in my words, that when I started, there were only two types of borders, aisle borders and framing borders. Aisle borders were in the aisle so that you would walk down the aisle and not somewhere else. Framing borders were the borders around things, around a machine, around a bench, around a bucket. Hmm? Aisle borders and framing borders now, because of the inventiveness and the incredibly powerful thinking that operators have done to actually find functionality in their borders, there are 16 more. There are 18 borders in all. 18. They're named and they function differently. See if I can cover them today. Okay? So let me begin with, uh, I, I want to kind of give you the emphasis on borders and why they're so important. I want to recall a trip that I took many, many years ago to Portland, Oregon, where I eventually moved. I actually moved to a home that was not five blocks away from a place called Cycle Hub. And I stopped in Cycle Hub the first time I went to Portland for no reason at all. I was on my way to the airport. I had a rented car, had a few extra minutes, you know, an extra hour or so. And I just wanted to kind of explore the city on my way to the airport. And I saw this big sign that said, motorcycles, cycle hub. I don't have a bicycle. I haven't been on a motorcycle. I haven't been on a motorcycle since I had a boyfriend with a motorcycle in Chicago. And I'm not going to tell you what year, but it was a long time ago. His name was Harley. And guess what he drove? I don't know how that happened, but he swears that his birth name is Harley. I have long ago lost touch with him. He was a ski instructor in Chicago for the summer. And I was there because my brother, my brother's wife was having the first baby in the family and uh, the, the first grandbaby for my mother and father. And they wanted me to hang around. I was nothing but in the way. Anyway, there I am going into this motorcycle showroom. It was hardly a showroom. It was really so, um, so, mm, I won't describe it because I honor those people that I met there, Mr. and Mrs. Major. They were behind the counter. You couldn't see them at first because the place was such a clutter that literally you couldn't tell the human from the stuff. But I finally, my eyes got used to the darkness, a showroom that was full of BSA and Triumph bikes. And I saw Mr. and Mrs. Major. They were waiting to serve me. While I was in, somebody did come through the door who wasn't me, who knew about bikes. And Mrs. Major wanted to show him a bike. And she literally walked on the seats of several bikes to get to the bank, the bike that she was seeking. Whether or not she ever got it out of there, I don't know. The front of the store was like this. And the back was a disaster, a disaster. (laughs) But you knew that these folks would find what they needed to find because they were in the motorcycle business and it was in there somewhere. It might take them three minutes or three hours or three days, but when they came back, they'd have it in their hand and they would say, oh, look, I found it, I found it. They were absolutely missing the visual piece Absolutely. There was no visual wear there. None. But there was one spot that showed great promise, and that was where the tools for repairing bicycles were located. There was a clear spot on the wall, and the tools were all laid out. The wrenches were there, and they were in ascending and descending order, and other doodads that you use to fix a bicycle. I don't know their names, but I suppose they're all different kinds of wrenches. Maybe there were Allen wrenches and, uh, and you know, your screwdrivers and hammers in case you got into trouble, you needed a hammer to get that thing off. They were in perfect order. 
They were in perfect order, easy to reach, easy to access, but there wasn't any visual piece, and I knew that meant Mr. and, Ma Mr. and Mrs. Major would take the tool off the board, use them, use it, and then they were going to have to work hard to get the tool back, especially if they brought all, down all of their wrenches. They were going to have to figure out how they how those tools went back in their correct locations. They had not captured any location visually with a border, an address, an ID label. So when you do borders, I'm going to just give you some uh, tips. They're not really tips. They're more like absolute foundational uh, rules about borders. You put borders around everything that casts a shadow. This is the way Gwendolyn does it. Everything that casts a shadow. You start on the floor and you work up. You put borders around those two buckets. You can easily pick up and move under the CNC. And you put borders around the CNC. Great big old blue machine. I can see Sheila Bowersmith working on it now. Brilliant. Brilliant woman who ran her Bryant CNC. What are you saying? What? You're saying, Gwendolyn, that machine isn't going anywhere. No one's going to borrow it like a bucket and forget to bring it back. It's bolted in, Gwendolyn. <laughs> it's wired in. It weighs a ton. Why, why on earth would we put a border around it? This is a great question. And the answers lay in the 13 other reasons we apply borders. Only one of them applies to the bucket, which is called automatic recoil. It's the ability of a thing to find its way back home based solely on the information that is on the bucket and the home we return it to, the border and the address. But in fact, the rule, the foundational rule is we lay borders down for everything that casts a shadow. Mm-hmm. So on this Brian machine, I remember it so well that Sheila was running. She put borders around her bucket, but she put a border that was easily two feet, 24, 30 inches away from her blue Bryant machine. And I saw that she had followed my instruction perfectly because the border was there because there was a small conveyor four feet off the ground, small, narrow conveyor. And it was casting a shadow, so she captured it as the outward boundary of the machine. I learn so much when I teach operators because they are brilliant. And I said, aha. And she said to me, I didn't even notice the space underneath the conveyor. I didn't even notice it before, but now I do, and I see that I could use it or I could actually block the use of it. And so she put into place, she decided to do that last piece. She put in hatch borders. Now, now we've added, we have aisle borders, we have framing borders, we have hatched borders, okay? And she said, I don't want anyone putting anything there, including me. And so she put a hatch border in place. Have you seen the movie Rocky? Remember that movie with Sylvester Stallone, Rocky Balboa, the underdog boxer who went up against the reigning world heavyweight champion of the world, Apollo Creed, and defeated him? I watch all those movies. I love those movies. But in this particular case, what I'd like you to focus on is that those steps that Rocky Balboa ran up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down, those steps are at the end of what's called the Benjamin Franklin Parkway. It leads up to the Philadelphia Art Museum with like 150 steps, and that's where he trained. He'd run across town. He'd run across town because he was on the wrong side of it, and when he was almost exhausted, he would be right in front of that museum, and then he'd start running up and down the steps. Well, I looked at that Benjamin Franklin Parkway 
And it is remarkable because it is such an array of borders. The borders are the avenue, allowing six lanes of traffic, thousands of cars, and thousands of pedestrians. All of them have their space. Safe and correct. And clearly the purpose of borders there were to function. To function. Hmm? So this is the kind of first, can I say philosophical piece? Maybe that's the right word. Philosophical piece I want to mention to you. And that is borders function. And if you think of that, you'll find yourself pretty automatically not using the word lines. A line is a one-dimensional mathematical construct that connects two points. A line can travel infinitely in either direction. A line is usually called a straight line. Or, back in 1893, a gentleman named Dr. Casey called it a right line to emphasize that it had no wiggles anywhere along its length. So a line is straight as straight can be. That is what it means to you, even though you may not have defined it. That is what it means to me. And I didn't know about this definition until I found it. And I thought, yeah, that's a line. But a border is different. A border is a function. It does something. A border bounds, has a boundary, it limits, and it defines. Those are three parts of its function. It has other, more extensive functions, which we will definitely talk about. A border is a function. And so what I say is, hey, look at that fantastic parkway. And when you see those six lanes of lines, see six lanes of function and call them borders. When you see borders, see function. Hmm? And when we lay down borders, we lay them down on two surfaces. We lay them down first on walls. We work from the bottom up. I'm sorry, I beg your pardon. We lay them down first on floors. What am I talking about? I know this stuff. We lay them first on floors from the bottom up, and we also include the walls. We're looking for, if you will, the footprint. There's another name for this. I'm going to introduce it now. I'm going to explain it later. We lay down the pattern. We lay down the pattern, the pattern of work. That is what we get when we put a border around everything that casts a shadow. We see the pattern of work. So we start on the floor, but we also include the walls. Many things on the walls that cast a shadow. Okay? And then we do surfaces, we do the tops of things, and we go inside. We do the underneaths and the insides of cabinets, drawers, whatever. Sometimes you can have a beautiful border, beautiful yellow border around a bench with a bold address. And underneath will be two buckets, two, maybe a recycle um, waste paper basket, and maybe something else for trash. Why not, instead of putting a framing border around it, put a patch border? Bright red, for example. Or, if your machine is round, why don't you just follow the shape? Maybe it has a kind of a basket. Hmm? So it's a round machine that has an actual round basin to it. Capture that. And if there's a feeder track that feeds what's in that round basin to another machine, why not capture that bridge, that track, in a shadow as well? Hmm? Why not? Still framing borders. So we have patch borders. We have hatch borders. We have framing borders and aisle borders. Let's add another one. What about a border that has two colors on it? 
Mm-hmm. When you think about it, you say, hey, I could use that. That's what Melody Sparrow did. That's what she did in her department where she had a wall full of resistors and transistors and diodes, little tiny things. And people were always interrupting her work. This is at Harris Corp in Quincy, Illinois, always interrupting her work in order to find out where things were. And she said, no more. And so she showed on the floor where the resistors ended and the diodes began. So she put on blue framing borders the color, a color-coded border on top of her other, her other border, her base border. And later on, she put in wonderful 3D tabs so people could see at the beginning of the aisle that what they were looking for was not there. On these wonderful 3D tabs, they didn't have to stand right in front of it. She had yellow on blue and black on blue and pink on blue. Beautiful, beautiful. And I remember the same thing. So, so I said, oh, boy, we'll add that to our collection. And then I trot off to Holland to teach Royal Nautilbaum trailers, which is a very, very heavy-duty welding and assembly of big trailers that you can steer. You could steer in any direction. And the guys there loved the idea. And so they made their borders yellow for traffic lanes and orange, which is Holland's favorite color. It's national color from the Duke of Orange, who was a great friend to Holland many hundreds of years ago. Orange to demarcate the work areas, double, double color. And they loved it. They wanted to make a difference. They wanted to make a differentiation, and that's the way they did it. I remember another set, and I'm going to, so now we have also double-colored borders. And now I'm going to introduce another one. This one was one that was most vividly captured at Scania, also in Holland. And what it was, was first a broad yellow border, and this time these were done in mats, not painted on the floor, and not tape, because they were very concerned this was an... um, Workstations where you simply stood up, the they were assembling engines and the engines came by on a conveyor. They were hooked in and the operator stayed on his or her feet a long time. And so they wanted to give, they wanted a soft cushion to make that more comfortable. And the broad yellow border was embedded in a green mat, was a mat, embedded in a green mat to mark exactly where the work content would be performed in this tack time driven plant. And there was a red border that would, in the mat, that would mark the boundary between the workstations. And each of those represented six minutes and 32 seconds of work content. They were totally tack time pull. Time based borders. These borders were developed, were created to capture time, to capture the footprint of time. Time-based borders. I'm working with, a, as many of you may know, a Spanish group, wonderful group at Crown Mexico. And I have, I, I know the words for time-based borders. Just a moment, it's, I'm going to say it wrong, but it's borders de bas de tiempo. Border, borders the de tiempo, time-based borders. You can capture time. So we've just gone through five of them, five of the 18. Aisle borders, framing borders, double-color borders, patch borders I mentioned for the waste paper baskets and the trash, and time-based borders. This differentiation, this wonderful differentiation that operators have discovered. I teach principles. I teach a methodology, and operators find the application and find that I didn't go far enough, and so they'll go further. Okay? And these, then you take what you've applied on the floor and you bring them to the top of your benches on work surfaces, and then you go inside and under, and everything 
has an opportunity to be ordered. So this is, um, I'm going to go over other types now, but what I want to do in this first show in the series is give you a sense of excitement of the scope of creativity and the scope of functionality that borders can bring to you. Bring to you if you're an operator, bring to you if you're a supervisor, bring to you if you're the CEO, so that you see that your company is in order and you can see it because you've made it so. Let's talk about borders now in terms of extending into dimensions of meaning. And I'm going to name six borders. I'm going to name something that is called, it's not really a border type, it's a condition in the border. It's called smart borders. And I'll give you an illustration in a moment. Another one is called shape borders. Another one, I'm just going down this list that I know so well, is the garden gate border. I've only seen it once, but it was so vivid. No, I'm sorry. I'm wrong about that. I've only seen it once. I saw it once and I said, yes, that is a distinct border type. And now I see it when I teach it because I'm thinking about this group in Mexico and they're always talking about the border Puerto de Jardin, the garden gate, Puerto de Jardin. Maybe it's Jardin. I don't practice my Spanish enough. And we'll talk about person with borders and photocopy borders. So first about smart borders. Listen to this. As we get smarter, our borders will get smarter. As we get smarter, our borders reflect our intelligence. I said this at the beginning of the show. I said about embedding the intelligence of our operational system, our intelligence, into the living landscape of work. There's a direct connection. What you want from your visual workplace is a workplace that speaks and speaks in a language that you understand because it is your own. Those visual devices are the vocabulary. The visual devices, the borders are part of that vocabulary. There was a border that I met. <laughs> There's a border I met at Hamilton Standard, Windsor Locks, Connecticut. It was straight as an aisle, as an arrow. It was an aisle border, in fact. It was an aisle border, except at one point it notched. And that point was right in front of a door. And I was curious about it because there was a little residue left on the straight edge of the border, of this aisle border, and the notch came out from it. But there, someone hadn't really done a great job in getting rid of the old border. And I said, what, what's the story here? And one of the guys told me, he said, well, you know what? Our friend so-and-so is a forklift driver. And you see this straightaway? He could get up to like three miles, four miles an hour. And he used to kind of race down here because it was completely safe because it was just an aisle and a wall except one day the wall moved. Right here where you see this door, nobody uses this door, but some human being walked out of it <laughs> and scared the forklift driver. He said, oh my gosh, that was a close call. The wall moved. And all of a sudden, a person walked out of it. He had always treated it as a wall. Ouch, he said. He was really distressed. And he went to the visual workplace steering team, which is made up of associates, operators, said, hey, guys, something almost just happened, and I need you to help me so it never happens again. This is, this is what happened. They went to take a look. They said, we need to make a smarter border here. And they notched it. They notched it as a constant reminder that a door was linked to the traffic lane at that spot. The border got smarter because they got smarter. Hmm? It just happens naturally. Bear this in mind. And you know what this means? This means that you have to find a way to pick up those borders 
overnight. Our formula is before we teach boarders, the, the team, the maintenance team, the training team has to show me that the boarders will, can be taken up in 24 hours. I also want to know what the formula is for them to stay in place for 12 months. And, you know, that's no easy job. But they have to demonstrate that first before I can teach. Because I say, and they understand the logic, if I teach, borders get smarter as we get smarter. And you can't get the borders up and you have to put in a work order and you have to work on it and grind it and put chemicals on it. And three weeks later, nobody's going to change the borders. They may get smarter, but the landscape of work won't change. So you have to show me the formula first. Hmm? And that's part of the preparation for laying down borders. Lay them down so they last for 12 months. And you have to find, if you're using tape, you're going to have to go shopping because some of this tape that's being sold doesn't work. And no, I don't recommend it because some of this tape that Companies sells, sell don't work or it isn't laid correctly, but I, I, I do know what my favorites are. And I say, unless it's extremely thick, you always seal it with wax. And if you paint it, you always seal it with a clear coat, unless you deliberately want to use lightweight paint so that it can easily be worn out. And then you just use a stripping machine, a stripping, a striping machine, I beg your pardon, a striping machine, you know, the kind you, you move along and just walk with. That's what they did at Nautobahn Trailers because they had an extremely porous floor is made out of tiles, ancient tiles that absorbed everything. And they wanted the lightest possible penetration of paint so they could change their flow. They changed their flow a lot. They got smarter and smarter and smarter and shrunk the footprint. It was amazing. So you have to get your borders to a place where they are not a barrier to improvement. You have to know that people will hesitate. That recipe needs to be formulated. Your maintenance needs to know about it. They need to be ready. We usually ask, we say 3%. 3% of time for maintenance in support of operator-led visuality. And the visual part of that begins when we get to borders, which in the methodology itself isn't until module eight. So there's a lot of important work that happens before we get to borders. But when borders come, we have to be ready to change our mind because the floor is going to be the workforce on the floor is going to be in a state of high creative flow. This is a thinking methodology, not a uh, follow the uh, color coding, what do you call it, paint, paint by numbers, paint by numbers. It's not a paint by numbers methodology. It is a methodology that develops thinking. As you've heard me say, in my earlier shows on operator-led visuality work that makes sense, we learn to use motion as a lever, and that opens the whole thinking pattern. So another, so that's smart borders. You can have another form of borders that's called the, the dirt or the formatos. I should say not the dirt. I meant the circle, the circle border. Or the shape borders. They're shape borders. Circles, dots, squares that mimic the shape of the things that they hold. This is a separate type of border. And the place that I saw it used first was in Mexico. This is in 1984 when I was in Rio Bravo 4, Parker Hannafin, I beg your pardon, Parker Electric plant, the first uh, Maquiladoro plant in Mexico. It was way back when. And I saw a fire extinguisher. It was vertical, but it was sitting in a red dot. And as Jim Walker, who was the plant manager then, as Jim said to me, yeah, when something happens, we need a fire extinguisher, we just look for the red dot. 
It's automatic. We don't have to search around. We just look for the red dot and get the fire extinguisher. So that's a beautiful combination of a shape and a very special case for safety. Mm -hmm. By the way, let me mention, in case you're thinking of shape borders as the commas that sometimes are used for so-called 5S, I have found them to be very ineffective. First of all, they don't capture any pattern. They, in fact, make the mind work very hard to fill in those spaces. They simply don't work as a sustainment mechanism. They're confusing to the mind and therefore to us. We can't make sense of it. There's not enough material there, enough patterning, enough shape there. Just put a patch border down. If you think, well, you know, then all I have to do is change the little, to change the comma, then, you know, that makes it so much easy, easier for us. It's a very lame, very unimportant reason. Very unimportant. Be careful. Don't talk yourself into uh, a lower logic. Think of, of a stronger logic than that. Let's move on to the garden gate. The garden gate is simply this. One side of a framing border is open, and it's usually because somebody is using that opening to pull something else out of. And I saw this at a GM plant in Anderson where there were racks. This is in 2086B. There were racks inside of an almost closed green border. This isn't the same as a comma. And I'll be darned if the operators didn't pull those racks from the space that was open and not across the green that was surrounding it almost. Those other green parts were treated as walls. They were fastidious about this. And a lot of operators have adopted the garden gate simply because they know about it and because they want to control their own behavior and the behaviors of others. So I kind of want to stop. I've got so many more to go. I think I have to, I'll bring this back at another time. I want to get to the first reason of borders so that you understand how powerful it is. And in the 10 minutes or so that we have left, let me walk through reason one. I said before that there are 13, and there are. There are 13 reasons for borders. Borders are the most powerful device, visual device, for establishing the visual wear, for establishing order, visual order on the plant floor. This is vitally important. And the reason why borders are important is that without borders, for everything that casts a shadow, everything looks the same. Everything looks the same. There is no pattern. When you walk into your so-called typical plant, you walk in, it may be clean, but you walk in and everything looks the same. There is no differentiation. When everything looks the same, we in fact can't see the differences, especially if it's a new environment. We don't know it well enough to pick up the subtle differences that would give us some orientation. It is pretty much like walking into the Sahara. Nothing is helping us understand anything. Nothing is helping us understand where we are, how to get out, what to do, how to keep safe. Seeing differences is a big part of what our brain does. Differences help us orient and understand lots of things. Another way of saying seeing difference is differences is seeing pattern. 50% of our brain function, I've quoted this many times because it's bedrock in visuality, 50% of our brain function is dedicated to finding and understanding visual pattern. Not seeing words, although that rule applies to words, but in a different way. I'll just say quickly, we use upper and lower case. 
I'll save that for addresses. But that gives us the pattern of words. It's very important, which I'll talk about at another time. We're not talking about seeing shapes. We're talking about seeing profiles, form. Here's another one, another word, meaning. Seeing differences is seeing meaning. It is seeing sense. It is creating sense. The part of our brain that seeks sense, meaning, through visual patterns is automatic. It is involuntary, like our breathing, like our heartbeat. We don't decide to do either one of those or any three of those. We don't decide to beat our heart. We don't decide to breathe. We don't decide to discern patterns. The brain is in charge. It looks, it seeks to find, and hopefully it does find because you understand this principle and you understand if the brain can't find it, the brain won't stop looking. The brain is a pattern-seeking mechanism. Therefore, it will always seek pattern, even if one isn't there. We are visual beings. Therefore, we live in a visual world. It's not the other way around. The world did not teach us to value visuality. Visuality in our world, we see it in our communities, our airports, vividly. Visuality is required because we are human, because of the human brain. It's the same at work. That is why borders are so important. They provide pattern, and they are intentional. The pattern doesn't exist without them. And that's why I'm encouraging you very, very much to get away from this whole idea of 5S, which if you heard my earlier shows, was simply a safety process, an important one that Ono came up with, Taichi Ono came up with in the 19, it was mid-1960s. It might have been the early, even the, even the early 1960s. It wasn't high functionality. It was to reduce the sense of risk that his employees had when they were on his floor and he wanted them produce, to, to produce high-quality product. They were distracted by the, by the clutter, by the danger, by the movement, backing into something, and he attacked. And he came up with 5S. I attribute it to him. Not everyone agrees with me. Without a visually based world, we are quite literally lost. Look at the patterns in traffic. Look at your highways. Look at the clover leaves and the complex avenues of borders, such as I described at the beginning. Benjamin Franklin Parkway, six lanes of traffic, thousands of cars and thousands of pedestrians use that space safely because it has it has visual function. And I want you. There's more uh, next week when we when we meet again. I'll tell you the story of how I discovered this. This was not knowledge that I brought in. I didn't. You know, I wasn't educated to visuality. The field didn't exist. <laughs> you know, that that's something that I did, and it's been a glory. I didn't exactly invent the field because we are visual beings. God did that. But I certainly codified it. I defined it. I developed it. I made it into methodologies. What fun. Best, best fun, best fun. <laughs> I love doing that. It's endlessly, endlessly teaches me. And that's what I want when I work, whether with CEOs or operators or supervisors, doesn't matter. I want, I want people to delight in the gifts that they have and the gifts that we all have. We have a working mind that is ready to help and support us. And so we change the unnatural work environment, the environment we call work, into something that the human mind can feel safe in physically and psychologically and be able to contribute. 
to be able to contribute at work, to make that a creative expression, to make that part of our identity, to make that part of our I want. I want to be excellent at work. I want to come to work and be a hero. I want to make a contribution. I want to express myself. This is the time that we're in. It is part of the reason why there's a little bit of chaos running around us now where everybody are, uh, is in their I want, but that'll get sorted out. We live so many, so many centuries without that, or without the individual and the individual I. So I'll pick this up next week. I couldn't be happier to share this with you. This is the love of my life, <laughs> borders. <laughs> really, I find them fascinating and so wonderful to teach. So wonderful to see companies transform the way they think and the way they work through these wonderful methodologies. I had a wonderful time with you today, as I always do. I wish you a great journey to visuality and in everything you do. And I'll be here for the next show. Let the workplace speak. Thank you for joining us this week at Visual Workplace Radio. Tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, with your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Let the workplace speak.